So Holy Spirit, help us understand and apply those words to our life. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello, 945. Good to see all of you here. As we have been going through this sermon series on how we can be pathfinders in a post-Christian culture who help to heal the culture, help to change the culture for the better, some of you have asked me along the way, so what's the plan going to be? Like, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to start another Jubilee Reach? Are, are, are we going to have a capital campaign? Like, some of you are really eager for a capital campaign. So, you know, some of you just dying for that. You know what? Here's the plan. Here's the plan. Oh, there's no plan up there. Hello. Oh, well, it would have been a picture of all of you. Uh, there we go. Okay, there we go. All right, there's the plan. Okay, wait for it, wait for it. There's the plan. That's you guys. You guys are the plan. Right, now, some of you might be going, well, that's kind of a letdown. I was hoping for a capital campaign. <laughs> no, it's you. It's me. It's all of us. You know, and, this, and this isn't my idea. This is not my plan. It's what Annie just read. This has been Jesus' plan from the get-go. In the passage we just read, he looks at this sorry group of disciples. One was a terrorist. Another made Bernie Madoff look like Mother Teresa. A bunch of them had foul mouths. And, and he says, you, you, you are going to change the world. And here's how you're going to do it. Go and make disciples of all nations. If you've been around churches, it's a very familiar verse. You know, it's known as the great suggestion, right? <laughs> great, great commission, uh, and, and the context here is that Jesus has just been raised from the dead. And this is his explanation of what his resurrection means. And notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, now that I have been raised from the dead, you guys can go to heaven. No, what he's saying is his resurrection is the first example of how he makes all things new, brings dead things back to life, but it's not meant to be the last example of the renewing of all things. So he says, go and through the power of the Holy Spirit, launch a movement that makes all things new. It's about healthy families. It's about people breaking out of poverty. It's about relationships being restored. It's about reconciliation. It's about freedom from guilt and shame. It's about people coming to know him and be connected to God. Jesus' word for all of that is the kingdom of God. And this is Jesus' plan to change culture. Not through politics. That's important, but politics usually just follows the culture rather than leads it. That's why Jesus never made pronouncements on political issues of his day, though he was repeatedly pressured to do so. But he knew the real way that culture changes is grassroots, one person at a time, one by one by one. And the historical fact is that, that when the genuine Jesus way of life goes viral, not consumer Christianity, right, not religiosity, but the genuine Jesus way of life, people joyful in hard times, serving, giving, all of that, when it, when it goes viral... It actually heals a culture. And in every sermon in this series, I have pointed to the, to the Roman Empire where Christians transformed it, not through politics or the use of the sword, but by living this refreshingly different Jesus way of life, joyful and suffering, serving those around them. And one by one by one, people were drawn to that way of life. And when enough people started living the Jesus way of life, that culture shifted and gladiator games fell out of fashion because they just seemed cruel and women and slaves were treated better and all kinds of things. It, he, this culture changed not through some massive effort, but just one by one, people living the Jesus way of life. It happened again after the fall of Rome, where Europe was post-Christian, and Christians went all over Europe, lived that radically different way of life, and it became Christian again, and those cultures got better in many ways. I spent the whole summer studying this question. 
In the past, how have Christians healed or changed a culture? And it's this way. Christians, individually and in community, living the radically different Jesus way of life until enough people were drawn in that the culture naturally shifted. As we've said throughout this series, it's personal, not institutional. It's a movement, not a monument. It's caught, not taught, grassroots, not top-down. Now, frankly, I'd rather do a capital campaign. <laughs> That's just money. That's easy, right? This, this requires that I change my way of living. This is hard. This means i got to do better at living that radical Jesus way of life. I do it some through the power of Jesus, but I need to tap into his power more and live that radical Jesus way of life so that other people get infected with the virus. And that's how you kind of change culture. And this is a different way than I think we've been thinking. It's a paradigm shift for us. You know, for a lot of people, their image of, the, of Christians, the churches, that we have just been yelling at and arguing with the culture for decades now. And, you know, we do live in a democracy, and there is room for winsome debate and all of that, but as a primary means to change culture, can you give me one shred of evidence it's worked? Are people flocking to Jesus? It is a failed strategy. So, let's try something that actually has worked in the past. Plus, it is just more personally rewarding to be part of a viral movement. It's just fun. Two weeks ago, my wife and I were at Eastside Academy Auction, and I love the auctions for EA, for Jubilee Reach, which is this, this Friday, because there's just this, it's like this movement. It's, you're caught up in something bigger. It's this contagious enthusiasm as folks give to those really worthy ministries. And, and many of you were there, and I have received a lot of teasing because one of the things auctioned off at that, at that auction was a dinner with, with uh, Christina, my wife, and me. And that dinner with us ended up in a bidding war, and it ended up going for $20,000. Christina, you no, know, yeah, right, that's how amazing we are, right? Uh, Christina, tur Christina turned to me, and she goes, we're not nearly that interesting. We're like $10 interesting. Like, we are gonna like, we're going to have to invent whole lives, right? Now, it wasn't about us. It was to give to Eastside Academy. It had nothing to do with us. But I have received endless teasing about it. One elder said to me, he goes, boy, there better not be a lull in that conversation. That'd be a $500 lull. It's the pressure. But what was cool was it was just kind of exhilarating. It was just like kind of this movement. It was just exhilarating to be part of something so contagious. And when you are part of a movement, it is exciting. You're going to want to sing. You're going to want to clap. You're going to want to dance. Or for us Presbyterians, we will form a committee to study dancing. <laughs> that is how revved up we are going to be. How does that happen? How does a culture get healed? Jesus gives one word. Go. Go start a movement. So I want to spend the rest of this sermon just unpacking that one word, go. How do we go in a way that starts a movement that goes viral and heals the culture? Well, first thing, you start by going where you already are. Another way to translate this verse would be, as you go, make disciples. So see, it's not necessarily adding something to an already busy life. It's as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to soccer practice or the store, as you're doing that, which you're going to be doing anyway, live in a way that draws people to the Jesus way of life. He didn't say go preach. He didn't say go convert people. That's God's job. That's above our pay grade. 
He says make disciples. And the Greek verb for disciple means to walk alongside of and do life with. It doesn't mean like a one-shot deal. It means to journey with someone through life. And as you do that, not all, but some people will be drawn to the Jesus way of life. They'll start to just live it, a.k.a. obey his commands. It's a relational methodology. As you go to work, school, the store, you are a door through which God's love can walk. You are a door through which the kingdom of God can walk. You are a door, wherever you are, through which the Jesus way of life can walk, wherever you are every day. So, if you're a manager, be a manager the way Jesus would be a manager. If you're a student, be a student the way Jesus would be a student. If you're a doctor, be a doctor the way Jesus would be a doctor. If you're a carpenter, you have a huge advantage over the rest of us. <laughs> so, get going, right? <clears throat> There's a man in our church, I'll call him Ray, he's in his 30s, and he and a coworker would always get in these verbal battles, just cut each other down all the time, and they pretended they were joking, but actually it was just really wounding. Well, one day he was uh, talking with a friend of his saying, what, you know, this is bad and it's toxic, making the atmosphere in the office just toxic. And, and the friend said, you know what, next time your coworker cuts you down, why don't you bless him in return? Because there's a lot in the Bible about blessing those who curse you. And see, just parenthetically, this is why we need community. I cannot give each of you an individualized plan for what it looks like for you to be a door through which God's kingdom walks where you are. I can't do that. But your friends can help you work it out, and praying can help you work it out, and responding to the nudges of the Holy Spirit can help you figure it out. So this Christian friend said, you know, bless him in return, and, and Ray said, you know what, I can't do that, he'll think I'm weak. Nevertheless, the next time his coworker said something really cutting, Ray said, you know what, you're right. I have looked at the numbers this month, you're killing it this month, man, you are, you are just kill you're doing a great job. And it totally caught this coworker off guard. Like, he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't know what to say. He was like, ah, da, da. and also with you. You know, like, <laughs> he had no idea what to, to, to do with that. It was counter to the culture of that office, but it changed the environment because it transformed the relationship. In fact, Ray said, you know, a while back, this coworker was sick, and Ray said, I actually felt genuine concern for him. Shifted everything in that relationship, in, 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 in the office. Ray gave his coworker helped him to see what the Jesus way of life actually is all about. Plus, in that moment, Ray was wonderfully free from the pressure of numbers and striving and all of that, wonderfully free. And I think we're, folks are dying for this all over, this kind of refreshing presence wherever we are. Someone recently told me about a conversation in his office where a coworker accidentally sent the wrong email, and she said, well, you know, let that be a lesson. Never send email before coffee or after you've started a drink. And another coworker goes, well, that doesn't leave me much of a window now, does it? <laughs> kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I think it gets to the fact that our offices, our schools, our neighborhoods are stress factories. And if we can be a door through which God's kingdom walks, the Jesus way of life enters, we'll be a refreshing presence. And when folks see us living differently, not perfectly, differently, when they see us sin and screw up, but see other Christians love us anyway and help us do better the next time. Or see us helping folks break out of poverty. Or when we forgive. Not all, but some are going to want to know what, what's driving us and we can talk about the hope that we have within us. And one by one by one, a movement starts. That's how you change a culture. It's sort of like those maps of cell phone coverage, right? So these orange dots on this map, right? That's you. 
God, see, God is a great strategist. He has scattered us all over King County, and he has placed you there to be a door through which the Jesus way of life walks in your office, school, neighborhood, retirement center, whatever it is. And as you do that, some folks, not all, but some are going to be attracted to that. And there's going to be a few more of those little dots. And you keep doing that, and it goes viral, and then pretty soon we have full Jesus coverage all over King County. Right? Like way better than Sprint, AT&T, or Verizon. Go where you already are. Second, go with good news. Do you believe that Jesus isn't just another religion, but a relationship that truly transforms us? I do. Man, he changed my life. He took an insecure kid who was so shy, he couldn't even say hello to a clerk in a store, and he called out gifts in me I didn't know were there. He healed me from a divorce, brought me into a new marriage, and he has taken me on adventures I never would have dreamed up for myself, from eating guinea pig 12,000 feet up in the Andes to dancing with genocidal murderers in Rwanda. I have seen Jesus heal marriages, give folks bigger lives when they were bored, free people from shame. Who do you know that needs some good news? Because you know someone. Go with good news. Or as you go, go with good news. Not the Jesus of religiosity or consumer Christianity, but the real, radical, making new of all things Jesus who told the religious leaders they were destined to hell but then turned around and showed grace to terrorists, tax collectors, and prostitutes. That's my God. That's my Savior. That's my Lord. There is none like him. He is nothing but good news. As you go, go with good news. And by that, I do not mean shoving religion down someone's throat. I read a story about a woman who every day would try to force her dog to take this liquid pet vitamin thing. But when the dog saw the bottle, the dog would just like run away and she just hated it and she'd have to chase it down and hold the dog's mouth open and pour in the liquid and the dog would squirm and fight and all this. Well, one day during this battle, the dog kicked the bottle over and the vitamin juice spilled all over the floor. So this woman went to get a towel, but when she came back, there was the dog eagerly licking up the vitamin juice. And she realized it wasn't the vitamin juice that the dog didn't like. It was the method of delivery. You so get the point. You so get the point. People, as it turns out, actually like Jesus. He makes all things new. What on earth is not to like about that? It's the method of delivery that is sometimes the problem. Go where you already are. Go with good news. Third, go sacrificially. Last week, I talked about how after the fall of Rome, Europe was re-Christianized by folks like St. Patrick, Patrick, who went to places like Ireland and, and with a small community, and they, they just met the practical needs of those Celtic tribes. They gave them food. They cared for the sick. Well, here's the thing. St. Patrick had been kidnapped by those very same Celts and forced into slavery by them. But in the process, discovered Jesus, and when he got free, he voluntarily went back to serve those same people. And the fact that he was willing to sacrifice for Jesus authenticated his message. It made those Celts think this Jesus must be real if he's willing to do that. When folks see us sacrificing time, money, reputation to live the way of Jesus' way of life, it authenticates our message. Plus, in a consumer culture where we are so obsessed with comfort that we become princesses in the pea and the tiny things starts to bug, smallest thing starts to bug us, right? Sacrifice frees us from our addiction to comfort. I am convinced that one of the reasons American Christians do not experience more of the power of Jesus is because we're too afraid to get out of our comfortable boats to discover that we can walk on water. 
And yeah, sacrifice is hard. That's why it's called sacrifice. Right? But I know your heart, and I know you guys want the real Jesus. I know you do, even if it's hard, because I know you want the abundant life he promises. I heard a story about a guy who died and showed up in heaven, and he was kind of this small guy, and St. Peter said, you know, have you ever done anything that you're proud of? And the guy said, well, actually, once I saw a bunch of really mean-looking guys picking on this woman, so I walked up to the biggest one of them, and I ripped the earring out of his pierced ear, and I said, if you don't leave her alone, you're going to have to answer to me. And St. Peter said, wow, when did this happen? And the guy said, about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> okay, there's a point to that story. It wasn't, it wasn't just for humor, which is good because some of you didn't laugh. Um, I think Jesus wants us to be like that guy. You're like, he died, bad analogy. No, I think Jesus wants us to be bold and sacrifice because here's the, like the core truth of Christianity. Every cross is followed by a resurrection. Every cross is followed by a much bigger, brighter res resurrection. And when we sacrifice to follow Jesus, we get new life and freedom. This audacious vision of Jesus, that there could be a community so radically devoted to him, each other, and the world, so living so counter to a culture of fear and addiction to comfort and successaholism and striving so counter to that culture, live the Jesus way of life so radically that people are drawn in and one by one by one by one, the culture starts to shift. Harder, absolutely harder. Takes longer, yeah, but it's the only thing that actually works. And it gets us out of our addiction to comfort. And in the process, we see Jesus change lives, and that gives us hope in his power to make all things new, and that gives us confidence. And then there's no recession that scares us, no crisis that intimidates us, no fear, nothing, no thing that we fear to lose because we know that our God lives, our God reigns, our God heals. He makes all things new, and we can trust him. Which brings me to my last point. Go where you already are. Go with good news. Go sacrificially and finally go expectantly. In this passage, Jesus says, surely I'm with you. When? Some days? Just on your good days? Always. Even to the end of the age. In other words, I boundary history and I am the world's happy ending. And in the Greek, the word for surely means look. And I always think he's asking them to look at his hands. The scars from the nails from the cross. And I think he's saying, see these scars? I know suffering, but see what I can do. I bring resurrection out of every cross. And he goes with us wherever we go. We don't go alone. He is with me when I go to work. He is with me when I go to the store. He is with me when I go to the movies. Yea, verily, should I go even unto New Jersey? He is with me still. <laughs> see, it's not just the Great Commission. It's the Great Co-Mission. We do it with him and the power of his Holy Spirit which we can tap into through worship and prayer and scripture and community, and this sets us free. You know, the text says, when the disciples saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And I've always like, well, what? this guy just got raised from the dead and they're doubting? But you know what? That's what we do. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't get rid of their doubts to give them a mission. He gives them a mission because he knows it will cure their doubts. Because he knows they'll see him change lives, and that will prove he's real. Pastor Hugh Halter, who I've mentioned before, has been living this kind of radical countercultural life in community with others for a while now. And his wife works at Starbucks, and one day she said, I want you to come into Starbucks and meet this new employee of ours named Steve. So, and because see, she's not a barista, she is a door through which the kingdom of God can walk, right? 
So Hugh came to meet Steve and asked him how Steve started to work there. And Steve said, well, he and his wife had started to work as golf pros at the golf course down the street, but got laid off. Now they're working at Starbucks. And, but now they're having relationship, uh, uh, marriage problems and financial problems and on and on. And, and Hugh said, you know what? Let's, let's talk some more tomorrow. Let's go golfing tomorrow. I'm a marshal at that golf course that laid you off, so I can get you in for free. And Steve goes, that'd be kind of cool. So they went golfing and formed a friendship. And as time went on, Hugh invited some other Christian guys to go golfing with them. And gradually, Steve got more honest. And turned out he has a porn addiction, which was a big part of their marriage problem, and, and got more honest about that. And it just kind of went on like this for about a year. And by a year, Steve and his wife were fully integrated into this Christian community, even though they weren't. And they were included in everything except for one thing. Because Hugh was part of a missional community of four or five other couples doing life together, but also on a mission to be the doors through which God's kingdom walks together. And they had a 2 one kind of rhythm. Twice a month, they would meet to, to apply scripture to their lives, figure that out, and, and get honest about their struggles and pray for each other. And then, that's twice a month, and once a month they'd go serve together somewhere, and once a month they'd have a party. And Steve and his wife were part of all of that, except for the Bible prayer times, because they weren't Christian, and Hugh didn't want to force it. But one night, Steve and his wife just walked in on one of these Bible prayer times, and, you know, because they, they have refrigerator rights and all of that, and just kind of walked in, and Hugh goes, oh, why don't you join us? And Steve goes, no, 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 we don't want to, don't want to interrupt, and so they left. But then the next day, Steve said to Hugh, so... That thing I walked in on last night, what was that? And you said, you know, oh, we, twice a month we get together to talk about God and our lives and pray for each other. And Steve goes, so, so what? That's like not open to the public? And, and Hugh goes, no, 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 anyone can come. And Steve goes, well, why didn't you invite me? And Hugh said, because I didn't think you'd want to come. And Steve said, well, I do. And Steve, Hugh said, well, fine, then come. So they did. And they would never pray, but they would get prayed for. And this went on for a while longer, and then one, sun, one Saturday, all the men in that community went skiing together, and on the way back, Steve said to Hugh, do you and your wife ever fight, because I've never seen it? And Hugh said, oh my, there was a, for, for a long time, we fought every day. We, we, we almost got divorced. And Steve said, oh, that's so good to hear, because I thought you were perfect. And then Steve said, well, how'd you get out of it? And then Hugh said, well, in order for me to answer that question, I'm going to have to like go all spider monkey Jesus all over you. Are you going to be all right with that? And Steve said, bring it. So Hugh talked about Jesus and the cross and new life. And Hugh said, you know, you've been hanging out with us for over a year. You've heard a lot about Jesus. Do you believe he can make you new? Do you believe he died for your sins? Do you believe that he could heal your marriage? And Steve said, I do. And then Hugh said, well, if you were going to say something to him, what would you say? And Steve said, I'd tell him thank you. And then Steve goes, should I do that right now? Should I pray that right now? And then he goes, no, it would be weird. We're driving back from skiing. But, you know, like, go home and pray that with your wife. So he did. And they made Jesus their leader and their forgiver. And they're getting help for their marriage. And their marriage is improving and, and getting better. And there's, there's progress with the addiction and all kinds of stuff. And they're part of this great community. See, people will confront themselves. There's just no need for us to do it. They'll, they'll confront themselves because in this crazy culture of ours, as it gets more dark, the light just shines that much brighter. And some people are going to be drawn to that. Now, this is just one story. I could have told you a story about some massive movement, but you know what? This is how a massive movement starts. One by one by one. 
And not all people are going to respond like Steve did. In fact, many will not respond at all as we live the Jesus way of life. Again, that's above our pay grade. We just show them what it looks like. Some people, it may take a decade or more for them to respond. Sometimes we just plant a seed and it grows later, right? But my experience is when we live the genuine Jesus way of life, at least some people are attracted. And when you get to be a part of at least just one life changing, even if it's just one life, that one life, it is so exhilarating. Even if it's just once, you have a good time. And then one by one by one, the culture changes. Historically, it's the only thing that's ever worked. Worked in Rome, worked after the fall of Rome, working today in places like China. We're going to end this sermon series here with this sermon, but we'll come back to this same idea later in the future. This series was just an introduction. But for now, how can you go spark a revolution by just being a door wherever you are through which the Jesus way of life can walk? How can you do that in your work, your school, your neighborhood? And who are some folks that you might could do that with in community. And the kind of change we're talking about takes a generation or more to be fully realized, but we can still start it and see some of its benefits in our lifetime and set our kids and grandkids up for an awesome future. And in the process, we get to see lives transformed through Jesus, and that is amazing. That story about Hugh and Steve, to me, it just seems cool. What did he do? He went to Starbucks. He went to ski as he did those things. He was a door through which the Jesus way of life could walk. And two people's lives got transformed. And he's got plenty of stories like that because he just lives it. Think of what could happen if we all got serious about this different way of living. What if each one of us had just one story like Steve's, just one story every three years? You know what? In three years, that would be 4,000 lives changed because there's a lot of us. What if each of those changed lives three years after that had another, each of them had one changed life? That's now 8,000 changed lives, and it just goes exponential from there. This is how you start a movement, one at a time. And pretty soon, there'd be full Jesus coverage all over King County. And what if we work together? Maybe come together with others to serve the school your kids are already going to. Go to the games you're already going to, but with an eye to be that door through which the kingdom walks. Got a great chance to do that just up the hill, Chinook Middle School. Would love to get some folks around that. If you want to be a part of that, talk to Get Connected. Or how about this? In this church, there is enough love and resource to end teen homelessness on the east side. And yes, it does exist. And we've taken a step in that direction with the Renew Homes, right? Which are, by the way, the only place in Bellevue for homeless teens. We're it. But what if we expanded that? What if the churches on the east side collectively, what if we all went together to the various city councils on the east side and said, that teen homeless problem, church has got it. You can scratch it off your list. We're taking care of it. The Christians have arrived, and we're going to meet that need. Oh, my. Now you're talking to movement. And yes, that involves sacrifice. And there is no blueprint. How this plays out in every life is going to be different. But through prayer and community and responding to the Spirit's nudges, we can collectively start a movement, and be part of something so much bigger than the puny gospel that says Jesus came just to get me into heaven and help me do better sin management. Jesus did not come just to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us and heaven into this world. On earth as it is in heaven, turns out he meant that one literally. And when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask you how many sins you didn't do. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And did you do some crazy stuff in my name? It is a good time to be a Christian in America.
Because historically speaking, Christians have been at our worst when we are at the center of power and at our most effective when we are working from the margins. And God is not nervous about the future, not yours, not mine, not our culture's, because you see, this is not the president's world. This is not the Congress's world. This is not Hollywood's world. This is not your world or my world. This is our Father's world. And though the wrong is off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Yes, we are living through a massive cultural shift, and that is disorienting, but it also filled with opportunity, a brave new world, and we are God's people in it. For such a time as this bell press, for such a time as this, God has called us into his service to be those doors through which the kingdom walks and start a movement. This is our Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, will be satisfied and earth and heaven will be one. So, Bell Press, get out there and start a revolution. Yeah. Jesus, help us to be those doors through which your love, your reconciliation, your power, your victory, your making new of all things walks. In our offices, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, make us those doors. And we will be grateful people. In your name.